0: Hello and welcome back to the Sendcast. In this episode, we'll be hearing about the process behind our recent Series A raise, some highs and lows, and what it's like raising capital as a young company. Joining us today is James Dean, CEO of Sensat, Lewis Crosby, VP of Strategy, and leading today's discussion is Harry Atkinson, Chief Data Officer. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy.
1: Three of us have been very excited to speak about this for the last few months. I have to say, uh, Lewis looks completely ecstatic with the whole setup here. Mm-hmm. He's never really been on a podcast before, so um, well, I listened
0: to because... a lot though. So this is exciting.
1: And so yeah, so we're here to speak today about our Series A raise. We've spent the last six months uh, since that raising a Series A, so we've just closed our uh, ten million dollar round led by Tencent. And, yeah, but it, I think it's strange to think back on the process we've been in. I think it would be a good journey for us to go through. So, James, let's start with you. When did you decide that we were going to start raising our Series A? Uh, last
2: n- November, I think we decided officially. So, uh, we, we raised a fairly big seed round last year. So, it's about $4.5 million. Um, mm-hmm. And that was actually fairly big for European seeds. So, it's picked up in a number of, kind of publications, including kind of TechCrunch, for example. Um, and that actually meant that we got a lot of inbounds from like the West Coast, um, in Silicon Valley, etc. So last September, you and I, Lewis, actually did a couple of trips to New York, um, a couple of trips in, in kind of Europe, and also in, in Silicon Valley as well. Um, and met a number of the funds that kind of inbounded us. And sort of two things happened um, in parallel. So one was that obviously um, one of these funds said, "Hey, we'd like to give you some money now." Um, we'd basically just closed the seed round, so you know we weren't really kind of in, expecting that. Um, but at the same time, the business really started to kind of click into gear. So we started to see a lot of um, traction from existing accounts, um, a lot of kind of more clients coming back purchasing many times. So it kind of became a bit obvious that, hey, if we have more money, we can do more execution now. Um, so therefore, it probably makes sense to do it. We formally, I think, took the decision in November to start actively
1: raising, mm-hmm. and we kicked off that
2: raise then in
1: February. And it kicked off with a, a roadshow to California, right? Yes. Do uh, <laughs> you want to tell us more about that?
2: So we we said, okay, we'll kick off the... Tell the audience we were there. Yeah, kick off the roadshow in, in California on the West Coast. Um, so picking up with a lot of people that we'd kind of met um, a couple of months earlier and sort of built relationships with. Um, so we basically, yeah, we kind of landed in, in California. We are coming from all over the world. I've been on holiday in New Zealand. I think you guys were coming from Europe um, got there and realised that it was actually a, a bank holiday weekend um, so this was uh, obviously not the best way to kind of kick it off so ended up going skiing for the weekend which was fun um, followed by a pretty intense two weeks of kind of, um, kind of follow on meetings and kind of uh,
1: meetings thereafter as well um, yeah so how important do you think the company's vision and mission is when you're raising a Series A so like, when you're out on well when we were out on that road show I really think that it was that vision and mission that played to the investors at that point because we didn't have the numbers that were required
2: yeah, um, for
1: a Series A. So how important do you think that is? I think that's
2: the initial hook which gets you to the door. Right? And actually, from the back of that TechCrunch article, that's what a lot of people reached out saying, hey, this is um, something we're really interested in as a thesis at the moment, so digitization of industries and um, how we can use automation. So actually very interested to kind of talk to you guys, um, see what you're up to. So that initial hook, it's, it's really important for that in, in the first instance. Yeah, I think a lot of VCs, you know, they want you to have a very big mission that you're going after. So James, when he talks
0: about teaching computers to understand the real world, people are sort of interested as to what that might be. James talks a lot about the third platform, having gone from the internet to socials to the third platform. So in that regard, I think, you know, having this massive vision, particularly in the West Coast, is something that is very appealing to a lot of the
2: VCs out there.
1: What were the key things you were trying to
2: get across to the VCs? I guess to answer that, I'll well, probably just tell you a bit about kind of the, the constructs of our pitch itself. So we, we definitely kick off with our vision, which is basically to kind of create a a translatable version of the real world into a version understandable by AI. Um, and if we can turn that kind of real world into a machine-readable format, well, suddenly we can analyze it. Um, we can start to understand it. We can introduce a lot of automation to different industries. Um, so we start very broad-based. We look at kind of the, the overall vision. Um, and then we start to kind of tie it down to where the use case is now, look at the market opportunity, um, follow it through the traction what we 've launched, how it works, um, and the clients that we have on there as well, um, and then rounded off with okay this is our next eighteen months, this is why we need your investment and what we 're going to do with it, um, and how it 's going to move the needle and all the kind of different areas we 're looking at as well um, so it kind of starts big, goes into the into kind of the depths, the details, and then comes back to the vision um, at the end of it as well
1: there 's particular VCS that play towards that right there 's some that want to see the numbers, and then there 's some that want to see the vision right and- what do you think are the key differentiators between those those VCs and how they look for companies?
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting when you think about it, and it has a split between those that are probably come straight into VC, maybe from a finance background. They're probably a bit more focused on the here and now metrics, the business plan for the next 18 to 24 months. I think where you end up speaking to some operators or people that have been operators in the past, they will lean more and place more emphasis into the mission and vision that you're going after thinking about how big the market is and actually operationally how would that work. So with that in mind, I think what James would probably agree with is that when you go to the West Coast, there are probably on average more operators in VC there than there are in the UK. So actually the mission and vision were particularly important whilst out in the West Coast. But when we were in the UK, it was still you know an important thing to start off with, but then it would probably go back down to what are your metrics, You know how are you performing, how many clients do you have, things like this.
2: And that's actually an important lesson because what matters to us is actually people that will back us for the long long term. Um, people that will understand the vision, actually give us the, the space, the room, and the, the kind of patience to get them. Um, so actually what we did is we, we first of all said, you know what, a lot of investors are just bad for us. A lot of investors are not the right type of investors for us. Um, so every fund we met, I think we met 43 funds um, through this process. Um, pretty much all the big names that you can kind of think of um, and actually we qualified everyone. So actually we were asking questions when we we're meeting them. Um, and we built a matrix internally, so we had ten different questions covering different areas. Um, and we were looking at things like, okay, how, how deep are the pockets? How much funds you know, do they have to actually allocate? Um, what's the return profile on these funds? So if it's less than three years, um, we'd dequalify them and say, actually we don't want to do you know, work with this investor because they're gonna you know try to exit us sooner rather than later. Um, we'd look at other things such as you know what's their portfolio if it's a portfolio which is fairly scattered. Um, they're probably in it for kind of financial returns. Yeah. If they've got a very good enterprise B two B tech portfolio, that's quite good because it aligns with what we want. Um, so we looked at all these different metrics, and basically that helped us kind of sort out all the different funds and actually we really wanted to kind of go after.
1: Um, so Lewis, you were kind of um, in charge of the, the the tactics around the Series A. How did you go about pro- approaching uh, the the VCs, and what sort of game plan did you have in place?
0: Yeah. So as James knows, I love listening to a lot of podcasts and occasionally the Harry Stebbings podcast has been pretty useful throughout this process. I think what we did is initially we wanted to figure out which VCs would be appropriate for Sensat. So that means, okay, who can invest in B2B, who's looking at or sector agnostic so they can invest in construction slash AI. And then actually from that list, who's most appropriate for us, that goes looking at fund return profiles, you know, how, invested their fund is which of the partners we have access to now after identifying okay which are the best vcs that are actually suitable for us as james alluded to earlier it was about creating a framework which allowed us to say okay why is this vc more appropriate than another vc for sensat so we'd go through that matrix looking at aspects such as you know do they have deep tech expertise in their portfolio have they got help being able to scale an organization whether it be via hiring or from operating partners. Then after that, it was more about creating relationships with those VCs that were appropriate. So let's go and get a coffee, let's go and have a quick meeting with them, not when you're trying to raise money, but probably six months before. That way you're not going to them the first time you meet them and say, hey, please give us £7 million. It's actually, you know us, you've tracked us for the last six months. And I think when you look at the VCs that invested towards the end of the process, they were the funds that we'd known for the longest. So it wasn't a case of the funds that approached last minute saying, this is the round, this is what we do, this is our vision. It was the ones that we built relationships with over the previous six months.
1: So how, lo- how many hours do you think you spent with each one of our VCs that invested uh, to get to uh, sort of the end goal? So I'd say in terms of Tencent, we
0: probably spoke to them for seven meetings for them in San Francisco. This is a very difficult number for me to say, seven. Um, and then on the back of that, we had a couple of calls with their team in London and also Dowson, who sits on their exec board, in um china so with tencent it's probably about 15 hours in total
2: this is probably probably a little bit less maybe like 12 hours um Mm. so much doesn't really make a difference um that was to get to term sheet Mm. and then obviously after term sheet there was a lot more um but to
1: get to kind of term sheet stage and office it's probably about 12 to 15 hours yeah and i know when it got to yeah like term sheet stage and like tech users it took a lot of my time but actually you guys spent a lot more time On the ground working with these guys. So how much of well, Lewis, was it 100 of your time when you when we were raising? On yeah, when we were raising, it it
0: was probably 100 of the time. I think one of the things that we realised during the seed was actually if you can go into a fundraise prepared, where you have your data room ready, you have a commercial due diligence document, that gives the VCs a lot of answers for their internal IMs. It gives them a lot of answers to questions they may need to come to you with. But because you've proactively written that, it saves quite a bit of
2: back and forth, which is why it was fairly efficient in the end. Yeah, here's a hack for anyone out there, and everyone commented this is fantastic and we wish other people did it, um, is we actually created an FAQ doc. Um, so all the kind of conversations we'd had uh, kind of leading up to the usual A round, but obviously we, we kind of meet people. Every question they'd asked about our business, we'd written it down. Mm. And then we proactively gone to people and said, hey, what else would you like to know about our business? So we actually had this like long list of FAQs. Um, and they were always frequently asked questions. Everybody asked these. Um, so what we did is we actually just wrote short, short kind of bullet point answers to each of these. Um, kind of segmented them, put them together, and then actually basically produced this DDQ due diligence questionnaire, um, which was just super useful to everyone. Um, and basically it was an immediate follow up from the meeting. Here's the oh well after kind of showing interest. Here's the due diligence questionnaire you can use. Um, ended up being forty two pages long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So it wasn't sure. Um, but something that maybe people don't always understand is that a lot of the processes that a, a junior analyst may have to write up something called an investment memo, um, an IM. And actually, if you don't do that work for them, you're basically hoping that, A, they don't sort of Chinese whisper and get kind of misinterpret what you've told them. Um, and, B, actually, you need them to kind of do that fairly quickly so you can kind of turn it around and keep the process competitive as well. Um, so by doing a lot of that DDQ work up front, it basically just gave them the tools that you need to kind of actually slot in and actually communicate amongst the other partners in the fund um, who you particularly maybe not have met um, exactly what you do and the answers to kind of the pertinent questions that you have as
1: well. Mm. Quick fire. What's the worst question you were asked during due um, diligence? What's your cact to LTV? James?
2: What's your cact to LTV? <laughs> um what was that what was my favorite like question i used to kind of i mean
0: your favorite response was when you talked about the cacti ltv yield which we had
2: i made up a metric on the spot that was quite good um no I, I would also hate it when people would talk about so our revenue is not pure SaaS revenue right um and there's a reason for that because of the industry you work in um and some people would like look at that and go oh it's not pure SaaS revenue blah 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 and actually like wow like you're like not the right investor for us because you don't understand why we do what we do um, and actually don't understand why that's actually appropriate for this industry. Um, and I would hate it when kind of almost like the, the textbook for what VC should look like would be kind of brought out um, and actually not really listening or looking at what the actual business is and why it's successful in its own right. Um, so that was kind of the worst question. Um,
1: yeah. So Did you ever get it when VCs actually don't understand what you're talking about, or what, what the business does. None of us really come from a
0: construction background. Construction isn't intuitive to most VCs like it wasn't intuitive to us. So it does take a bit of explanation. The industry dynamics are quite weird. So there is an educational piece. As James would constantly say during the fundraising process, we're not creating a dating app or a dog walking app. So actually there is a level of thought and understanding that needs to go into it. And that's inherent by being in construction initially.
1: Um, so, what were the, the goals in raising this round? Like, so there's obviously monetary goals, um, but what were the reasons for raising the cash, and what are the goals for that cash?
2: Um, broadly speaking, two things: so one into product development, two into sort of you know sales expansion and growth as well. Um, so, what we did is basically our, our business model is we sell an initial um, SaaS platform for 12 months, and then we actually come back and sell additional upsells on top of that. Um, so, these will be largely data integrations. It could be different software integrations, for example. Um, and each of those is priced on value proposition. So, um, it, it could be different, essentially. Um, so, for our initial um, product we sell, we had a pipeline for the next quarter of about 3 million, let's say. Um, but sales had identified opportunities for around 23 million in the next quarter for these upsells. Mm-hmm. But we hadn't built them yet. And basically, each upsell currently, or integration, if you like, um, took us about four months of engineering time. So it just seemed really obvious, actually, if we could have more resource right now into kind of engineering, where we can build more of these in parallel, therefore we can start to unlock this opportunity, which is there as well. Um, So that was one of the big drivers, and essentially, yeah, it boiled down in the end to about 60% product development, 40% into kind of sales expansion and growth in that sense.
1: How do you simplify that for a VC, right? Because you can't go through your entire business model in an hour's meeting. How, How do you simplify that?
0: A lot of the times we didn't actually get asked too much about use of proceeds, so... We would probably give an answer such as James just gave. You know, with sixty percent going into tech development to back up the pipeline that we can fulfil to clients, and then forty percent for sales to scale up that pipeline. I don't think we actually got probably too much during the process on exactly how it would be used line
2: by line. I think that and to be honest, it will be different now to the answer that we gave you six months ago because the business yeah. evolves as well. Um, I don't think it's the the answer that matters so much as the method that goes into the thinking of the answer. Um, and why you're why you're looking to deploy it there, and how it kind of ties back into the overall um, strategy that you have.
1: And is there different answers for that same question from seed to Series A? Hundred percent, yeah. Um,
2: I, I mean, broadly speaking, your seed round is going to be people backing a team. Um, we really didn't know what our business was at seed round. We had an idea, but it took us, you know, eighteen months, two years to really figure out what our business was. And um, we're still learning. We know what the model is now, but we still got a lot of iteration to do within that. Um, at the A, it's kind of showing, okay, we've got early traction. We've taken this idea. We've turned it into something. Um, this is how we think we can grow this something into something valuable. Um, and then at the B stage, it's like, cool, we've grown something valuable. Now it's time to really ramp it up and grow it into something massive.
1: Let's go into a bit more detail about the Series A then. So we mentioned it's $10 million. Who, who have we raised this money from? And and what are their sort of profiles?
0: So before we went out to the Series the Series A, we spoke to a lot of the existing investors Always helpful to get a commitment from them to follow on their previous investment to show the you know they believe in the company. What we promised them at Seed has come to fruition during the last sort of 12 months. So, going out with already over 2 million committed from existing investors was a big positive for us. The new investor that's leading the round is Tencent, so third largest internet company in the world, second largest uh, venture fund, with something over like 100 unicorns within their portfolio. Now, they match sense that in a couple of ways in terms of like why they backed us Jada, you're probably better to explain this than i am
2: yeah basically going back to that matrix so one of the key things was a partner that can fund us for a long time so tencent have about 73 billion in aum i think at the moment Um, there's no hard exit so they've not got a return profile where they need to try and exit you in the next couple of years so that was good as well Um, they've got a great enterprise portfolio actually a lot of the technology companies they own or invested in such as um, Epic Games, for example, that owns Unreal Engine, um, that's actually adjacent technology, so stuff that we potentially could use, um, stuff that we can give them, you know, this is what we need to achieve. It's not particularly our value proposition, but we, we you know, we could move the needle if we could do this. Um, so there's a lot of kind of cross overlap in that sense. Um, and then actually just looking at business strategy as well. So Tencent have a massive cloud infrastructure kind of play. They also really believe that actually the era that we're entering is the era of the enterprise internet. So the consumer internet, that's sort of been here, done, it'll kind of sustain, but actually now the big opportunities are in how we can affect industry. Specifically, they've got a nod towards doing that in a sustainable way and a way that doesn't degrade the planet, um, which really matches with what we want to do and achieve as a, as a, as a company as well and the mission for why we're here. And so there is a lot of different elements where it kind of really seems to match quite well. Um, we've got Tencent as the lead. Who are the others? Uh, of our eight existing investors, seven followed on. Um, then uh, we And then basically we also brought a, a venture fund called Systema into the mix as well. So they're between San Francisco, London and Moscow as well. Um, again, a good, a good play in sort of market access. So what we were looking at for, for who we wanted VC-wise was basically two things, um, a market access VC and a sort of technology VC as well that could help us on those two elements of our business.
0: Yeah, I think if you look at Systema in particular, what they had is they had some portfolio companies in the West Coast who had made that journey from Europe to the West Coast, and one in construction in particular. So they were very helpful in terms of introductions to those guys, but also being able to facilitate experience that will help us as we go transatlantic in the future.
1: Yeah, and was, was there ever a point during the race where we didn't think we were going to raise the cash? We knew we got a solid business, the business is working. Um, there were certain... Funds that
2: wanted to see more progression, we actually ended up raising this Series A about a year before we initially planned. So we were kind of mid-cycle in that sense. Um, so some funds said, actually, we'd like to see a few more proof points. We completely buy into this. That's great. We just leave those relationships in a great place for the next time we need to raise again. Um, we were never really kind of worried we wouldn't raise. Um, it, it didn't make sense. I think our revenue about 4X'd during the raise process. So You could see that there are on something here. Um, we were worried about not raising from the right people, though. Um, we were worried about raising from people that could potentially be detrimental to the business because actually that's as bad as not raising in some senses. Um, so that was kind of the main worry. I think in terms of actually getting
0: getting the Series A signed off, what you really need to do is find your first lead. And you know, we end up with a couple of lead term sheets in the end, but a lot of firms are waiting to find out you have a term sheet before they'll jump in and issue one. Why is that? I think it's twofold. One is it sort of validates that they believe it is a valuable business. And if they're asked why they put in a term sheet, they can find out, look, it was a hot um, hot company, effectively, that had a couple of term sheet offers. So they weren't the only one that had conviction on the future of the company. But also, it maybe it gives a, le- a level of indication on pricing. So if you're unsure what you want to value the company at, after the company have an initial term sheet from someone else, that provides a range. And then you can either come on top of that or, you know. Sit below it depending on how you
2: want to position yourselves. Yeah, um, it's interesting because actually on valuation, we never set, we never went to market and said this is what we want to raise. Normally you would do that, but because we were sort of mid-cycle, um, we'd rather the market potentially price it for us. Um, so I think we got five offers in the end, so we had a range of valuations which we could kind of pick from, um, and each came with pros and
1: cons in terms of the the opposite side of the table as well. What are those pros and cons in of 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 raising money from people? I know we covered like sort of what's good about a VC. But what would be the other pros and cons? Um, Cons are obviously giving away equity
2: and and control in in the business itself. Mm -hmm. So that's why kind of making sure and pre-validating that these funds are aligned with what you want to do as a business is really, really important. You know, the the stat that I keep hearing is that like it's, you know, most VC relationships with companies are actually longer than marriages now, Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. So that's probably the biggest kind of con. The pros are what you want them to be, right? To us, like genuinely speaking, one of the big pros is money. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it isn't any investment round. Mm-hmm. We're not looking for massive hands-on help from people. A lot of funds will actually say that this is one of their differentiators. They'll help with you know PR and talent and uh, marketing, etc., whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Our view was actually kind of you know what, like we're going to have the handle on this ourselves. And actually, if we need help, we will reach out to people. And we've got that network around us. Um, probably my favorite quote, or one of my favorite quotes from this entire RAISE experience was when we were with Founders Fund in San Francisco. Um, and we said, you know, do you take a board seat? And the guy turned around and said, uh, if you want us to. And it's yeah. kind of like, well, most people are always like, yep, yeah, take a board seat. or no, we prefer not to. And right. uh, so we said, what do you mean? And he's like, well, we, we back such A star profile people that generally we find that they're self-sufficient. They don't need our help,
1: mm-hmm. um, but
2: we're there in case they need it. And I think that
1: encapsulates exactly kind of what our mantra was towards this as well. And talking about the board, how has that board composition changed since the race? So it's been two and a half months now. How has that board composition changed? Um, but pretty much exactly as it was before. So we we've just added one board
2: seat, which is the Attencent representative. So it's their chief European representative joining our board, which is great. Um, very good ties back into the kind of exec team back in Hong Kong Shenzhen as well. So adding one person, essentially, yeah, the actual formation of the board will stay pretty similar. So we now have six people on the board. Um myself, uh, kind of an independent mentor, an independent chairman, a market person, and then two investor directors.
1: Okay. And what's your relationship with those members? I, I wouldn't say they are like,
2: again, like day-to-day hands-on with this business. They're more there for, as a sounding board for me to kind of go to when we need to reach out for things. Mm-hmm. But actually our advisor network is much wider as well. We have people we can kind of lean into for people, operations, for sales, for technology, whatever it is. Essentially, we, we
1: have a kind of wider network of people. So now we're going to speak to one of our first, well, actually our first investor, um, Andreas Meisen from Pupil Consult. Uh, welcome, Andreas. Thank you. Um, so maybe start telling the audience a bit about yourself, uh, your background, and then also a bit about uh, Pupil Consult.
3: Yeah, thank you for being here. Um, about myself, I'm Managing Director of Pupil Consult. People Consult is a small partnership dedicated to investments in early stage companies, with a focus uh, on prop tech investments in general. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty uh, big sector, so um, hard to say which exactly is the the right focus there. But uh, yeah, indeed, we were the first investors in Sensat. Um, back then and was an interesting journey since then.
1: So looking back in, at your investments and maybe looking back at your investment in Sensa, what do you look for when you're investing in a startup or in, in sort of a person almost at that, uh, at that point in time?
3: Interesting question and of course you start with the typical stereotypes. Uh, what you hear very often is the I team, a, a striking idea, Hopefully a good business model and some strategy behind, and uh, as I said, team in general, apart from the founders. Um, but I, I think that's a bit too general. Um, I like to go a bit deeper sometimes to, uh, and to emphasize dedication from the founders, from the team, how much uh, are they staying behind and staying behind the concept? Uh, is there a clear vision uh, that they believe in and that makes sense in the real world. And, yeah, uh, that's, for me, a very important factor. And uh, last but not least, it's the market. Um, you see so many early-stage companies with brilliant ideas, but they really lose sight of market, uh, of clients, uh, what they need, what they require, and added value at the end.
1: And... Uh how were you introduced to in, introduce you to In huh,
3: Interesting point. Uh, interesting question. Um, I remember um, quite well that we were introduced by a personal contact for our investor network, and it came a bit out of the blue. But I remember still today that we managed to meet the same day and have our first meeting. So good coincidence. I remember.
1: It. Clearly, at the digital catapult in the corner office, looking down the Euston Road, uh, and James, it was James and I actually. Jack wasn't there. It was James and I pitching you, and it was our first proper proper pitch to, to a VC or sort of someone who would potentially give us money uh, <laughs> at the end of the day. And yeah, we were very uh, we literally sat there for about three hours before trying to think about what we were going to say.
3: Apparently, very are good, otherwise, we wouldn't have to give you money. But uh, yeah, it was a very interesting experience. And as I said, I was overwhelmed by the spirit of the team and uh, what you showed us back then, and uh, looked very promising.
1: Continue to look promising. Um, so, what, if you think back to, what was it 2017 when we first met, what was that? in in that first meeting what was that thing that actually got you to say hey this is actually something interesting and then moving on from that first meeting what was it that convinced you it was something worth investing in?
3: I mean uh, it's uh, it's very clearly uh, that the personalities in front of us were impressive they apparently had a clue what they are talking about Uh, and at the same time uh, the presentation was I remember very technical on technical issues, technology, innovation. I I would admit that I probably only understand half of technology stuff, but what you managed to deliver was a clear vision and uh, how this could solve problems in the real world. And I remember that your claim two and a half years ago was literally recreating digital twins, mm-hmm. um, remembering um, that... And looking at today, uh, the whole world is talking about digital twins. And I'm glad to say to know that you moved on from from that buzzword. Mm -hmm. And you're now talking about different stuff, uh, how to evolve from the digital twin to deliver real real value on uh, what technology can achieve.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So what was the... So post post that meeting, what was the sort of key things that you were looking for to sort of well, to secure that investment? Because you're the managing director of the sort of um, partnership. But what was it? What did did you have to do to the rest of the of pupil to say, hey, this is a business that's worth investing in?
3: Uh, good question. And it's probably not the standard process that happened afterwards. Yeah. I had a very short time to digest uh, because uh, luckily uh, I had an investor meeting, a partnership meeting yeah. just the next day in our investment committee. And I thought, well, I, I'm so excited about this. I have to bring this up. Uh, yeah. There was nothing really prepared in terms of due diligence. So I literally used your presentation then uh, and I tried my best to deliver um, what is uh, what it's about, mm-hmm. and it was certainly helpful that you made me understand what it's about by using use cases, creating use cases, and I have to say uh, that was a very short discussion and uh, with a positive outcome. Yeah,
1: well, you mentioned use cases. What, what what's important about use cases for you that sort of brings it that- home?
3: I have to be honest, it's sometimes very difficult for investors to understand technology. Technology is very complex and uh, it's exactly as you did and the founding team uh, to develop a very innovative technology. Same time as I said, it's very challenging to understand and get into grips with that. Mm -hmm. So, I think the key here is use cases which create a bridge between technology and how it solves problems, how it delivers added value. Cool.
1: You sit on our board, so you're sort of very close to the business still. Um, How do you sort of track the I guess, track the success of your investments? So obviously, you're sitting on the board of this investment, there's other investments. How do you track the success over time? Obviously, there's a monetary success, but are there any other indicators or um, or key signs that something's going well? Um, and is and is money the only thing that uh, your uh, partnership is
3: interested in? It's a good question and difficult to answer, but first thing I have to say... I have sprung that on you. Uh, it's, yeah. it's not only the money that drives us, so I think... It, Even in his first meeting, our message was very clear. We want to be part of a journey. We want to support you to achieve your Mm mission, And it's not about an exit date in three years' time from now. That is definitely not our principle, investing into early-stage companies. Of course, it plays a role, but maybe not a major role. Um, But the other part of the question, how we track and how we value success of an investment, um, I want to admit that it's difficult when you are so close to business and having a responsibility as a board member Mm -hmm. Um, I try to keep it very pragmatic Um, don't be too friendly because you have an obligation and a job to be done uh, as as a board member but um, try to support them as much as possible with your advice with uh, helping to find the the right making the right decisions so In this particular case, Sensat, I would say for me, it's commercial success on the one hand, which I think is very unique for an early stage company that you've been in the past years. So very impressive. And on the other side uh, is the further development enhancement of technology. And I had a lot of discussions in the past few days and weeks how difficult it is to maintain a balance between technology development and at the same time getting real feedback from the market by serving clients. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult and there's probably no right or wrong, but I think you uh, did an amazing job so far. You maintained a very nice and and good balance here, Mm -hmm. Um, still enhancing and developing your technology platform further, but delivering business cases and earning money. Yeah, and sort of
1: closing off, um, thank you, by the way. <laughs>
3: thank you for your kind words.
1: Um, closing off it, what, what if you could give one piece of advice to early stage businesses um, looking for uh, either seed capital or Series A capital? Uh, what would it be, and why?
3: So, to start from the beginning, um, just having an idea mm-hmm. is probably not enough. No longer, there are too many brilliant people out there. They have all brilliant ideas. But you want to see execution of those ideas. So you need to provide something to attract investors to convince them. In um, particular, on the seed stage, you find a lot of ideas, idea stage. And this is simply not enough. It's a tremendous risk. This is more uh, business angel investment, who supports you, who connects mentorship with you. But I believe to be serious about raising money is to have a small team together that is dedicated and you show that you're able to execute. That is my advice. If you want to go out and look for money, try to, to, to add substance as early as possible.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you very much, and I'm sure we'll see Thank you. So, what was the most challenging thing about raising this round?
2: Biggest challenge, like it's a lot of work, and, and it, even when we've run a pretty tight process, it is an emotional roller coaster as well. Um, you know, some days, you know, you have meetings and it goes really well. Some other days. Um, you let your co-founder pitch and he starts going on about chemicals and the whole thing's not working very well. Um, so, yeah. So, basically, it's, it's a bit of a kind of emotional roller coaster. And it, you know what's quite interesting? So, we'd done a couple of months of prep work, right? Because we kind of started kicking off meetings in September, not actively pitching. Um, and actually, a number of funds were trying to kind of get early on this and trying to get us to kind of enter process and give us term sheet before we wanted to start this. Um, so, what happened was we knew we were going to start February. So, I took a whole day. I went to New Zealand for two weeks. Um, and we had like a lot of process, a lot of practice, sorry, by this point. We were pretty good on the pitch. Like we knew you know, what we were saying. We pretty much answered every question. Um, so we were kind of raring to go. And I remember just kind of getting to um, San Francisco, and it was almost like this is the Olympics. Kind of, We've been preparing for this for kind of a while kind of ready to kind of go on this as well now um, and the first meeting we had was just terrible um, it was just awful but it, it was almost good to kind of cut your teeth on that and then kind of roll into the next day where it kind of then um, went really smoothly thereafter and every good meeting you have basically builds momentum into the next one so we try and schedule our big meetings for the end of the day um, knowing that we'd be coming
1: in quite hot by that point so was it was there anything that sort of came out of nowhere sort of a left hook that really took, took you by surprise during the process don't think so you 're saying that you had everything under control uh, i don 't think everything was under control. I think you understand during this process there's a lot of rejection
0: for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons whether it 's wrong timing. They're already in a couple of investments that are similar, so we just don 't understand what it is we just don't understand what it is so. i don 't think we had any severe left two cas and oh, these guys said no, and we thought they were definitely going to say yes, or you know someone was like, look, your business' isn 't good we didn 't get that feedback during the process.
2: So there's no dramatic left. Who can and I think that was partly because of the pre-qualification. So, you know, it, it can be a tough job with a lot of no. Save yourself some of that kind of hurt and pain by actually finding out who's going to say no before you even ask them because it's the wrong type. They don't invest in that industry, um, wrong stage. Get those people out of the process. So I, I think actually the opposite is true. We learn a lot about ourselves. Um, as a business which was really useful for us running our business um so i kind of really enjoyed it from that perspective
1: so how do you think the company changed over the over the period i guess we were raising for pretty much nine months i'd say
2: not actively we were we were we were actively raising for two and a half months so obviously during that time um so we we got so we started raising in february we got term sheets in april
1: yeah but we were we were Looking in October time, I'm right, preparing ourselves for. So you prepared behind it. So I think, that, I mean, how do you think the company changed? Because I know we matured a lot, and even since we've raised, we've obviously moved into this new building. We've matured a lot. I think what you began to realise during the
0: process is the benefit of
1: bringing probably professional
0: individuals with more domain expertise. On the back of that, what they will then do is they will help. You know, cement. I know exactly what I'm going to do in my function for the next six months. So, for example, Daniel came into branding recently. Now, a couple of us in here can do a bit about branding, but actually if you get someone who knows what they're doing, they've built the function before, Daniel just comes in and says, look, for the next six months, these are my key work streams, these are the milestones. And I think as we got through the Series A process, we began to hire people like that, even before the fundraising had come in. So that really began to lift the level of the whole organisation.
1: Yeah, I think for me personally, I feel like we focus a lot more, even before we raised the the money, because we were all focused on, we were focused on sort of getting those Series A metrics and getting to, getting to Series A. Uh, whereas when you're in your seed stage, you're really just trying to build and build fast. Mm-hmm. Um, but we try to try to focus on the things that we're going to, one, raise us that money in the first place. And now we're obviously in the stage where we're trying to raise um, the profile of the business and also get to the numbers we need to for Series B. So it really sort of hones the, hones the mind. Whereas in seed stage, you are just building and building quickly. Yeah. So with all that in mind, if you were to look at yourself a year ago and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? So
0: one thing that I think has become fairly transparent to us throughout the process is the benefit of spending time up front with investors. You know, not pitching them initially, but actually discussing your business, finding out how they think, finding out how you approach strategy. If you look at the investors that we ended up taking investment from, They weren't people that we met three months before or, you know, just before we started our fundraising process. They're all people that we met six months before. We were having casual updates with them once every, you know, couple of weeks. That way they could track the metrics, understand that you were delivering on your business plan. And also we began to know them as people. And on the back of that allows you to understand you'll form a good relationship.
2: Mm For me, it's just be prepared up front. So putting this DDQ together that we talked about was, was so beneficial because normally when you get to your diligence stage, there'll be lots of questions coming in. And, and in our first C-Round we did, we basically, you know, you'd be working until 2, 3 in the morning mm-hmm. trying to kind of catch up and answer all these questions. And then you don't do your best work. And it's so obvious when you're just sending it over. At yeah, right. ad hoc. So because we did all of that up front, it saved so much hassle later on, which meant that we could probably bring more people into the process and actually give them more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, And again, just using a sales analogy to kind of really service their needs um, to kind of bring them to that kind of end goal um, of of getting the
1: investment. So, what does the next 18 months look like for Sensat?
2: Uh, So, well, we've got quite a lot to do. Um, Our big sort of headline kind of commercial goal is trying to get to $10 million accounts, um, of which we're well on our way at the moment. Um, so that's a big kind of headline commercial goal. We've got a lot of technology to build out. We've got the roadmap, which we're building out as well. And then specifically the team as well. Um, so we've basically got budgets budget to pretty much 5x this team right now. Um, that's immensely challenging. It's scary. It's also very, very exciting. Um, so there's a lot to kind of go from there.
1: Yeah. So with the sort of thinking about the next 18 months and what Lewis said about sort of nurturing your vc contacts obviously at some point we are going to go out to raise a series b well we hopefully go out to raise a series b how how do you see yourself splitting splitting time between work and sort of that nurturing uh, right now we 100 work um we, we a lot of
2: growth funds actually weirdly reaching out at the moment we're just saying you know what like we're, we're just busy working on this like let's let's catch up a little bit later in the year um, but we'll start like we did last year. We'll start kind of identifying who is applicable for this round. A lot of people won't be. Um, so kind of finding who's applicable and then just starting to kind of build those relationships. Um, and to be honest, a lot of the relationships from A will carry over to B. Um, a lot of the best funds that we met, um, we, we're still talking to them now. We're catching up as well. Um, so I hope actually a lot of the work that we've already done will actually pay off um, again the next time round. What are you most looking forward to? So I think um, James
0: has obviously probably hit the nail on the head. Actually, getting back to operating is key for the next six months. We will have ad hoc catch-ups with some of the funds that we've identified as you know, important for us for Series B. But it's nice to be back, not travelling, staying in motel rooms with James, staying in single beds at airports with James, and then from that, moving back to you know, doing some work. Single beds in airports? Do you remember that time you put pillows between us at the head and the feet? that was at the um gatwick south terminal yeah the, the
2: block hotel the block hotel yeah yeah i think that was their first night together actually yeah well now we're staying
1: in five-star hotels and flying business class everywhere incorrect okay. incorrect yeah. um and what do you see the key challenges are over the next 18 months obviously getting the right numbers um well yeah you know, the biggest challenge
2: is people like finding 150 good people is very difficult um So we won't hit that, I can promise you. i look you in the eye now, Harry, and say we will not get to 150 people in the next year. Um, We might end up at 70 or 80 people because that's the right number for kind of where we are. Build that kind of solid foundation then grow it quite quickly. Um, We're in a fortunate position now where, you know, obviously we're revenue generating. We're profitable for half one this year. Um, So we can make cash, but also we've got this investment funding to spend and invest on the business as well. Um, So we can really control the speed at which we go now, which is a, a very fortunate position to be in
1: cool and um i think that'll be it right
0: thank you so much for listening if you have enjoyed today's podcast please give it a like or a share and if you're interested in working with Zensat, visit the careers page on our website thank you so much again and goodbye